Some may want to merge or acquire, but some may just want to become an affiliate. So uh, there's a lot of people putting pieces together these days. So uh, I would use the word deal very comfortably that there's a lot of deals out there to be made um, in just putting the right partners at the right table. Welcome to the Fueling Deals Podcast, the podcast that teaches how to accelerate your business growth through all types of deals. It's time to fuel up, so buckle in with your host, Corey Kupfer. There are only two ways to grow your business, organically through sales, marketing, and providing great products and services, and inorganically through deals. Too many companies focus only on the first way, organic growth. Welcome to the podcast, which will help accelerate your business growth inorganically. My guests are a huge variety of deal makers and experts on all types of deals who have personal experience that can help you grow, get clear, learn best practices, and avoid mistakes. We discuss everything from large complex mergers and acquisitions to smaller deals that you can do even without significant capital. My guest today is Dennis Miller. He is the founder and president of the Nonprofit Search Group and the Board and Leadership Institute. Dennis is a nationally recognized leadership coach an executive search consultant with more than 35 years of experience working with nonprofit boards, uh, nonprofit board leadership and chief executives. Dennis is also an expert in board governance, leadership development, philanthropy, and succession planning. In addition, he's a sought-after motivational speaker, retreat facilitator, and nonprofit leadership coach. Dennis has experience working with hundreds of nonprofit organizations, has provided uh, him with the knowledge and insights to understand the competencies required of today's nonprofit leadership. I also know it's not right in his bio here, but Dennis is also the author of five books. Uh, just an amazing guy. Dennis, I'm so thrilled to have you on the show. Well, Corey, it's happened. I'm happy to be with you. Well, that's great. So uh, I'm excited because, uh, you know, a lot of the people I have on the show are uh, either uh, entrepreneurs or C-level executives or uh, people who, uh, uh, you know, uh, are in the deal space in various ways, whether they're consultants or investment bankers, et cetera. Uh, so I'm really interested in talking to you about deals in the nonprofit space. But before we go there, I want to take you back. And before, you, you know, way back uh, 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 when you were growing up as a little kid, what did you want to be? Because my guess is, and I could be wrong, it probably wasn't a nonprofit consultant and, and trainer. Yeah, I didn't know that such a thing existed. Um, actually, when I was in high school, it had in my yearbook that I was going to coach a college football team to the Rose Bowl. So I would have said uh, I thought myself as a football coach and uh, uh, it didn't happen, but that's kind of where I was back in high school. I didn't have any other significant ambition at the time, but I thought I would be coaching a team at a Rose Bowl. Yeah. I love it. And, and however you define this, what was the first real business that you started or were involved in? Well, my company was started 15 years ago. Um, uh, and before that, I had a 25-year career as a healthcare executive, uh, worked my way up from finance to running two major medical centers, and I was a corporate executive in between. But my own company was started 15 years ago. And just kind of a quick uh, story, Corey, I had, um, you know, wanted to do something differently. A few close friends of mine said, Dennis, you should have your own business. I had the financial means back then uh, to do it. So I was looking forward to something new. I wasn't sure what it was. And then one day, someone from uh, the Regional American Cancer Society asked me, well, how did you build your board and how did you raise all that money and how did you build your brand? A lot of how do you do this? And and I just went out in the parking lot, this light bulb goes off and that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be this advisor. And it's, you know, I had to start because people thought I just knew big organizations, but I just told people it was just zeros. And 
I just started little by little and uh, I grew into the company I have today about uh, you know, 15 years later. Pretty exciting. <laughs> All right. So, give us a couple of minutes on 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 what your uh, your company. You know, the, you have two major uh, uh, things that you do. Uh, you know, give our audience a couple of minutes on on what those are. Yeah, two, well, two things. Uh, the nonprofit search group we do executive recruitment for uh, presidents, CEOs, executive directors of nonprofit organizations. Could be a behavioral health care organization. Could be an educational facility. Could be a foundation. Uh, we've done a lot of work with Make a Wish, uh, you Come for the Cure, things like that. Um, and we also do, we'll do recruitment for a C-suite person. So someone who's reporting, obviously, to the president, CEO. Um, that's that's that business. And what led us into that business is my board and leadership institute because my clients, Corey, sort of tell me, you know, the way I describe, how they've described me was, you're my coach. And so having been a board chair and been on numerous boards and, you know, I was first a chief executive at the age of 37. I was very fortunate. I didn't realize how young I was until I turned my age last week in a birthday party. Uh, I was a young <laughs> guy. And uh, so I've had a long track record of being a CEO. And so it just became natural just to give people my experience. And so we, I provide a lot of uh, board and, and CEO executive level support, uh, retreat facilitation, uh, help them achieve their strategic vision, maybe set to help them facilitate that vision. Uh, but do a lot of work with their boards, make them high performance driven, both at the board level, the organizational level, C level, sweet people. So it's about how do they have a, a bigger impact in their community, whether their community is international, national, or state or just local level. All right. So let, let's address something uh, directly on that. Some of our listeners might be sitting there saying now, uh, hey, Corey, you, you know, you have a, a deal podcast about uh, deals that help uh, helps grow businesses. And you got this guy on who's in the nonprofit field. What does it have to do with deals? And I think a lot of people may not realize that there are plenty of deals that go on in the nonprofit space. So would you give us an idea of the types of deals that you uh, see and, you know, and, and, and advise your clients on in, in the space? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, as a matter of fact, I, I won't say the name of the organization, but I'm, I'm working with one right now and I've had lunch with another one today, which is had an organization. It's very large, just short of a hundred million dollar operation uh, in the Northeast that, um, uh, both their CEO was retiring, but had a series of financial problems or financial struggles and uh, was looking for a CEO. We actually recommended that I think they'd be better off before they recruit a CEO to consider being uh, be part of an emerger or a affiliation of, a, of another organization that was financially stronger. I then helped them identify the organizations in that state that I think were nearby states that would be good partners. We ended up having a series of meetings with both boards and then narrowed it down to two companies and then one company was selected and uh, my client and that company is going through a due diligence right now. Expect to announce uh, probably in a month or less uh, this affiliation. Um, this will make uh, both organizations stronger, become a larger organization. Uh, and then we, we actually have already started the recruitment process for the CEO, but now the CEO will come in uh, be the CEO of one large organization, but report to the CEO of even a larger organization. So that's an example. There's a lot of organizations in the nonprofit world, whether you're healthcare, educational, children, family services, arts and culture. Today, the idea of collaborating with others, not trying to do it all alone yourself, uh, not focused solely on the size of your budgets and control and your ego, but how to provide services to those you serve. 
So collaboration requires deals, whether you're going to become, here's an example. So I work for a very large, well-known Hispanic organization, a large Hispanic community that wanted to have a health education program. They had the clients, but they didn't have the healthcare experts. We went to the nearby University Medical Center. I helped them become an affiliate of this organization. The University's Medical Center's uh, staff ended up uh, providing the healthcare education workshops, and it kind of became a collaboration. So there's a lot of those deals. Today, at lunch, me with a CEO and another executive from a company uh, that has a good reputation, but it's a, maybe a smaller player in the, in the state compared to what they want. We talked about how to create uh, a strategic program to seek other organizations that may they want to collaborate. So programs become stronger. Some may want to merge or acquire, but some they just want to become an affiliate. So uh, there's a lot of people putting pieces together these days. So uh, I would use the word deal very comfortably that there's a lot of deals out there to be made um, in just person putting the right partners at the right table, regardless of what the legal structure was going for it. That's great. You know, and, and you're, yeah, you mentioned, the, you know, affiliation relationships, strategic alliances, deals, you know, meaning, you know, real mergers and acquisitions. And it's interesting because, uh, you know, I have some background in the nonprofit space in terms of having some clients there and also, you know, I had my own nonprofit, uh, you know, at, at some point. I'm pretty familiar with it. And, you know, what's interesting is, and tell me if you agree or disagree with this, uh, in, in my experience, which is less comprehensive in the space than yours, you know, I, th- I think many years ago, it would seem like everybody and their mother would start a nonprofit, right? They, if somebody believed in a cause, they would start a nonprofit. And, you know, then everybody's competing for funding, whether it's from, from you know, foundations or other funders or individuals, right. et cetera. Um, they're understaffed, they're underfunded. Uh, and, um, you know, and frankly, as a, as a business person, sometimes we'd look and say, oh, well, really well-meaning, but are they really going to have an impact? And I've seen a trend over the last, I don't know, you know, five, 10 years, where there's been more of a recognition of maybe this um, sort of, you know, uh, small sort of uh, spread out, uh, you know, uh, a lot of individual people trying to figure stuff out situation is not uh, going to have the, as much of an impact as uh, they would like. And there's been more consolidation and, and affiliations uh, over the last probably five or 10 years than I've seen, you know, uh, previous to that. Uh, is that. Is that your experience as well? It is, but I remember as something comes to mind, this was a few years ago, or maybe actually even eight or 10 years ago, I remember being at a dinner meeting and having someone who wanted to um, start a a nonprofit for, I believe it was cancer research, and they were hoping to raise like, you know, $10,000 a year. And I said to them, you know, I I understand the the nobleness uh, of your endeavor and the family initiative. Uh, whatever that was, maybe a family member was sick or someone passed away, whatever. And I was very empathetic. I said, but in all honesty, $10,000 in cancer research is like a pebble in the ocean. Uh, You'd be much better off donating $10,000 annually, perhaps to a medical school. So some physician specializes in what you want than trying to do it yourself. It's a lot of work. Um, And I think we have what, Corey, you know this well too. Well over a million nonprofits in this country, and most of them, a large percentage of them, you know, have budgets less than maybe a hundred thousand dollars. A lot of small ones. It's very difficult to run anything that requires infrastructure. So the trend is really to collaborate, um, allow one back office situation, so one sort of CFO billing controller type operation. 
maybe one HR person or HR hiring for multiple companies. It's, um, you know, the day of just sort of a lot of small places are not going to make it. And you're seeing more and more organizations sort of linking up because they're just strength in numbers. It's hard to make it these days with lack of federal funding, state funding, and a lot of different fundings, private uh, public funding going down. The need to seek private funding, people want to see return on the dollar. And it's hard to demonstrate that when you're very small. Yeah, totally. So, you know, so Fueling Deals podcast listeners, just uh, I want to break down some of the things that we've talked about, uh, you know, in the nonprofit space here. So, you know, Dennis has mentioned mergers and acquisitions. So just like in the in the for-profit space, there are yeah. companies that get together, they merge the, you know, two entities, they one acquires the other, um, you know, and there are structures around that. He mentioned affiliate arrangements where maybe there's you know, some sort of contractual arrangement where somebody has, uh, you gave the example where somebody had the clientele, but didn't have the expertise. So they would, you know, contract with another nonprofit to provide the actual services. Uh, there are other kinds of strategic alliances. Uh, and then, uh, you know, the other, the other thing I've seen, uh, Dennis, and maybe you can comment on this, uh, tell me what experience you've had. You know, there are also arrangements uh, these days between for-profit and nonprofit uh, entities where I know some for-profit, uh, especially socially conscious entities that are sometimes contracted or have a fiscal sponsor of a nonprofit to provide certain services as well, right? Yeah, well, a couple of things here. Um, back in my uh, two, I'll give you two responses, of course. One, uh, your answer is you do see a lot of more uh, stuff. But here's an example. I want to I want to be clear. There are a number of larger organizations, nonprofit that do have a for profit arm. That for profit arm could be involved in real estate housing. Um, it's it's maybe better for them to be involved in the real estate housing, particularly if you're talking about housing for those with developed disabilities, cerebral palsy, other people with difficult functioning as adults. So sometimes you see that uh, a for-profit division, or sometimes you see in a lot of what I see in the, in, in the, the companies or providers that deal with developed disabilities, they start a, a private company to employ adults. And so, you know, people with a little bit of training and support can be very productive citizens and, you know, really productive and it, it creates a great life for them and their family. It's amazing what they do. So, you know, I tell people it's a nonprofit is your tax status, not your business plan. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you, you have to get off the mindset of just sort of nonprofit. It just means your tax status. You don't have to pay tax because you're providing support back to the community here. Um, another thing I see more and more too, and it's what I did back in my old medical center days was, uh, for instance, you know, we'd have a large pharmaceutical company in our community that wanted to establish their presence, and we built a strong relationship, and uh, you know, and eventually they supported our breast care program and put their name on it. And so if our budget was say $400,000 a year for the breast care program, they gave us that a uh, 2 million grant over five years. So there's a lot of partnerships with that. So I think there's a lot of places where people can partner um, for profit and nonprofit, both on the business side of things and backroom stuff. There's a lot of people things can do to be creative. The idea is, uh, whether you're in, in uh, a for-profit company or not, you you got to provide a product or a service, and you got to survive. And it's challenges out there, and you got to be smart about it. So I keep my options open. I explore everything. Just again, nonprofits, your tax status. It's not. It can't be your bottom line. And you know, I used to have an old expression when I ran a Catholic hospital back many many years ago. You know, and I used to tell the you know the nuns, oh Dennis, you know, Lord will provide us. It's just you know, no margin, no mission. You know, it's no more. <laughs> and so, uh, 
you know, everything means well, but you, you know, if you're not billing and collecting and things like that, you're not going to get anywhere, you know? So. Yeah. And I, and I think uh, uh, nonprofits are, uh, at least uh, some of them are starting to understand that they need to operate in some way, some ways more like for-profit business, obviously not in terms of their purpose and what they're ultimately the service they're trying to provide, but in terms of the way they, uh, I mean, I have a, I have a good friend who, um, who provides, uh, focuses on providing um, bookkeeping, accounting, and financial services for, for nonprofits. Um, and, uh, you know, he has said that, uh, you know, often, and listen, it's a lot of small businesses have their books are a mess as well, but, but you know, with, with nonprofits, when you're dealing with other people's money, uh, it's even more crucial to, uh, you know, be on your game in that regard. And uh, I think uh, the industry's getting better, but, uh, you know, for, for a while there. You know how, how, I didn't mean to interrupt, but you know how everything, there are stereotypes, right? There's the, uh, you know, my my mother's side of family, you know, Irish are the stereotypes of the Irish drinkers and blah, blah, blah. Yep. But, you know, there is a stereotype for nonprofit. You hear the word nonprofit mentality. And in the first book I wrote uh, called The Guide to Achieving New Heights, The Four Pillars, of successful nonprofit leadership, that the the fourth pillar was being business minded. Yeah, I said to people, you know, you've got to grow your way to success. You can't cut your way to success. It doesn't. You can't, you know, just be a cost cutter. You got to be a revenue grower. And to do that, you got to be smart. It takes business skills. And even those that invest in you, that that'll donate to you today, they want to. It's, they don't just. Nobody gives it the stress anymore. People give the success. They want to see. A return on their investment. They want to see the impact you're having. So, so it's you no. Know, you have to be business minded. It's it's there's nothing and there's nothing wrong with it. It's, it goes hand in hand together. Remember, nonprofit is your tax status, not your business. But I keep saying it over and over again. I know. I, I love that because it's a great reminder. And and listen, I've seen creative. I remember many years ago. I'm going back. Uh, wow, it's got to be uh, at least 25 years ago. You know, we uh, we did some work. Uh, for the ASPCA, and that's when they started their spokespets uh, uh, thing, and we 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 did a bunch of licensing work uh, for them, where they, you know, they created these uh, these characters and they licensed them onto uh, t-shirts and mugs, and you know, you name it, what, and they made money from that, and they partnered with uh, for-profit companies that did that, and it was a revenue source for them. Now there is some nuances in terms of. Um, you know, that, that certain of that income becomes taxable, whereas their donations are not, you know, you, you know, that's legal technicalities. They need to take care of that. But the point is, you know, they, they found earned income ways to, uh, to, to, to raise money, including through licensing, which is another type of deal that, uh, for-profit and non-profit companies can do. Absolutely. I mean, I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a, just in the, in the, where I am on the East coast here, there's a magazine, um, called New Jersey Monthly, but it's it's just, you know, it's a it's a it's a journal magazine about, you know, what's going on in the state of New Jersey. But they give out some called the Great Oak Awards and they give out to companies and businesses, small, medium, and large, that have, you know, support philanthropic causes. And it really shows you how well some companies uh, you know, really bond with their community, how they how they, their employees have a significant bank, it's called Investors Bank, and their president is Kevin Cummings, a good friend of mine. And it's in a couple of states right now, but, you know, their employees for orientation go to a soup kitchen for as part of the orientation. I mean, so there's a lot of things people do. And Corey, I know you know this and many of your listeners know this. You know, millennials today want to work for companies and businesses that have a sort of a purpose more than just the stock price or the bottom line. And so there's so many things the world of nonprofits and the, and the business community can do together because no, Businesses want to be branded well in the community. They want to be part of the community. They want to be thought of well. 
it's a good return on business. And the same thing, the nonprofit needs to be smart to take advantage of that. So there's so many opportunities. If you want to use the word deals, there's so many opportunities for deals, for partnerships, collaboration, just getting people's opinion. It's amazing just how many opportunities there are to think about at the end of the day, how do I create value? So in the business world, how do I create value for my shareholder? Right? How do I create value for my stockholder? In the nonprofit world, how do I create value for my, my stakeholders? How do I create value for those that donate, for those that work here? How do we create value? How do we distinguish ourselves from other people? What is our image? What's the impact we're having? I, I over and over advise my clients to not just have a typical board meeting, which goes like, okay, I want to call the meeting order, all in favor, say aye, the past minutes, okay, and they go through various reports and the meeting's over. It's boring. You, know, you gotta be you gotta be different. The mindset has to be very different today in the so-called what I call the non-purple world. But it's a business mindset. It's one of regeneration, revitalization. It's it's re-engineering. It's thinking differently, out of the box. Those are concepts that came from the for-profit world. This is great. So, so, so Dennis, people, I mean, listening to you now and your your expertise in this area and experience and working with all the big organizations you have and the way that you uh, you know you work with boards, etc. Uh, people might make certain assumptions about your uh, background or history or where you came from. Uh, and uh, I, I'd love you to uh, maybe uh, give us uh, uh, some more background on your journey because it's, uh, it was an, inter- it's an interesting one. You've, uh, I know you talk, you talk about it. I know it's referenced in some of your books. But I'd love my listeners to hear more about uh, you know, uh, Dennis Miller before he was a uh, you know, high-level uh, uh, recruiter and consultant and uh, advisor in the nonprofit space. I appreciate it, Corey, and I appreciate a chance to talk with, with your listeners and, and those involved in the podcast here. So, you know, a couple of years, two years ago, actually three years ago, um, I wrote a book called Moppin, M-O-P-P-I-N, Apostrophe, Moppin Floors, the CEO. And the subtitle was From Hopelessness and Failure to Happiness and Success. Now, people that knew me for years in the business world saw me as a kid that, you know, 37-year-old top executive at a Catholic hospital, I graduated from Columbia University grad school, you know, Rutgers, and they thought I had a silver spoon in my mouth. But it wasn't until three years ago that I really publicly came out and told my story, which was that when I graduated high school, I graduated 10th from the bottom of my high school class. I didn't get into any college. I um, got rejected by every school. I, though I was a varsity football player, had to lead the play. It was kind of like the class clown. I grew up in a very abusive household and suffered traumatic abuse and trauma. Uh, from a dad who had a personality disorder, um, uh, gender identity issues, a whole range of emotional problems that my dad had. My mom, who was a sort of a good person, but, you know, she suffered clinical depression, withdrawn and sad because of their relationship and had a negative impact upon me. I grew up feeling like an orphan, don't really have any parents, got to take care of myself. I didn't get any college, it was embarrassing. Um, went to county college and by the time I was uh, went, got through County College um, in a, as a business major, um, but there was a lot of, as you imagine, the upheaval back in the late 60s, uh, Vietnam War and all the stuff going on in the, in the country. I was almost 21 years old. I just was so distraught, so alone. And I self-admitted myself to a psychiatric, psychiatric hospital, a private hospital, and um, there, the local pastor from the priest, well, it wasn't local, he traveled visit me and I didn't really know him and he had this very calm demeanor about him and I wasn't used to that and make a long story short one day end up knocking on the rectory door and I just opened my eyes and cried my eyes out and told him what was going on and he eventually got the help I needed and 
went through a whole range of therapeutic programs. I was getting on my feet. By the time I was 24 years old, my dad had a bad day, threw me out of the house. I lived on the street, got a room in the YMCA, uh, got a room in the boarding house and answered an ad for a houseman job at the Ramada Inn in Edison. I thought that was like Jackie Gleason coming up with the gold trim, clamming the, the luggage in and the baggage in and getting <laughs> tips and it was basically cleaning the bathrooms. And I did it for a year. And then I realized, you know, Dennis, all your dreams of wanting a good life, you got to go to school, you got to get an education. Then how am I going to get an education? I didn't get into any college. I wrote every college in, in my state a letter. I chose to go to Rutgers. I graduated tops in my class in two years, went on to Columbia, spent a lot of time in a therapeutic environment to deal with my emotional trauma. I've been married for 38 years of two successful kids, a grandson good business and a career and good life. And I just, I just had perseverance, determination, uh, Corey, and I've had a lot of support particularly from my wife, but from, from professional people. And I just did the hard ass determination or stubbornness not to let obstacles get in my way. And I think that's helped me not only in my life, obviously, but it's helped me in my career to be able to see organizations that are not at their potential and I can I can just tell them, but you know, you're not at your potential. And the chance for growing and developing your business is there. And and I just I, so I had a client tell me once, you can see our future before we can, which I thought was an interesting comment. So my story, um, people love my book. It's it's well. I mean, I, I thank you for the comments I've gotten about how well it's written and stuff like that. But it's mopping floors, the CEO. It's on Barnes and Noble, Amazon, and all those books. But it's a long time ago. But I've it's been an interesting journey and. Thankfully, right now, I'm sort of a happy, busy guy with family and friends and, and people like you, Corey, to, to hang out with. Well, Dennis, I, I appreciate you sharing that with us. And, you know, and the person who, uh, who connected us uh, had seen you speak and, uh, and she was so moved by your story. And, uh, you know, I haven't had the pleasure to, to, to see, you know, hear you speak live, but I, I look forward to having that opportunity at some point. And, you know, and certainly listeners, uh, you know, as many many of uh, the Fueling uh, uh, deal, uh, Deals podcast listeners know, I'm you know I'm a professional uh, speaker as well, and uh, and um, you know, but if uh, you know, obviously I speak on very different things, uh, but from from what I from you can hear on the, just on that little snippet, and from what I've been told by people who've seen him, I mean, Dennis is just uh, that's a phenomenal, inspiring story. So uh, you know, definitely look to reach out to him if if you uh, need somebody at your at your conferences or um, at your company because. Uh, you know, this guy is um, has not an easy road, and he's uh, made made a phenomenal life for himself, and he's done it in a way that uh, where now he's working with nonprofit organizations that help a lot of people. So his impact is is phenomenal, um, and the journey he's been on is really uh, informative and inspiring f- for many people. Hey, Carl, just you know, I also occasionally get asked by corporate boards to to speak to them about their involvement in nonprofit boards or their employees in nonprofit boards. So I I do that as well. Oh, that's great. So, so, uh, so Dennis, listen, so while we're at it, I mean, you, you mentioned, uh, uh, you know, that book you, uh, and uh, one of the other books, I know you have five of them. Uh, and, uh, just so in general, whatever you want to, I know, I know people are going to want to reach out to you and hear more. And so, you know, uh, what's the best way to find out more about you? Um, my website is Dennis with two N's, Dennis C as in Charles, Dennis C Miller.com. If you don't put the C in, you get either the guy on Bill O'Reilly or HBO Live, where you get a furniture store in New York City. <laughs> DennisCMiller.com. Uh, my email is simple. It's just Dennis at DennisCMiller.com. Uh, my office number is easy. It's 973-784-3693. I, 
I work with both large and small organizations, not all large. I work with organizations of all sizes. It depends upon what your mission is and where you're at and decide that we're going to help you out. Our, our fees are more than reasonable. And uh, we work around the country. So I, can, I worked in every state and, uh, you know, California, Florida, New Jersey, a lot in the East Coast, but I, I'll be in Nashville in two weeks and uh, California in another four weeks and uh, Chicago and New England, any place, Texas. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm around quite a bit and um, uh, I would be happy to have people reach out to me. And I just, just as a favor to you too. So if your listeners do have a question, I'm happy to have a, you know, courtesy conference calls, have them just email me, Dennis at DennisEmail.com. Say, listen, I heard you on Corey Cooper's, you know, uh, podcast and I have a question. I'm on a board and I'm thinking about going, whatever it is, feel free to reach out to me and um, I'm happy to do it for you and no charge. And um, my books are available uh, through my website um, or just, you know, Google as an author on uh, Barnes and Noble or Amazon, Dennis C. Miller. And uh, there's five books. There's the guide to achieving new heights, uh, the four pillars of nonprofit leadership. There's a book called the nonprofit board therapist, which is how to unlock your organization's true potential. Um, there's a book called The Power of Strategic Alignment, which is why do some succeed and some don't? It's because they have a strong sense of who they are and a strategic vision to align themselves with. I wrote a book about recruiting your next CEO and sort of a search book for nonprofit boards and my mop and uh, book. And now I'm actually, instead of writing books, Corey, I'm focused on developing a series of online interactive learning tools and programs and courses that will be coming out with sometime in the next few months in 2000 and this year. Oh, that's fantastic. So listeners, there's just so much great, uh, so many great resources that Dennis has. And, uh, you know, Dennis appreciate the generous offer to have people reach out if they have questions. That's really nice. Um, and before we, uh, we close here, uh, I have one last question for you. And that is, um, one of the, one of my highest values is authenticity and my listeners, uh, you know, people in my life know that that's, uh, that's really important to me. And for me, authenticity is something different than, uh, external morals or even, or ethics or even integrity, which are all important, but it's, it's, it's more for me in terms of having some self-awareness and being aligned with your truth and following, you know, your purpose in life, which is a conversation that clearly from your story, you've had a journey around. Um, so I, I'm curious as to, uh, not only, uh, in terms of um, in terms of your personal journey around that, but also you mentioned uh, you know the idea about nonprofits um, and being in community and having a certain you know image and brand and and you know in this day and age, uh, if that's not authentic, you know people smell it out. So I'd love to get your your take on uh, on on authenticity um, and how it's uh, impacted your life and, and what you do in business. Yeah, well, I think they go hand in hand together. And it's interesting because though I'm comfortable uh, talking to your listeners today, Corey, I would tell you when I was president CEO of a major medical center uh, in my state, you know, I was not letting people know that I was going through psychoanalysis and dealing with trauma. I was still stigmatized and ashamed of, and I kind of, I kind of hid my background. I was, I was ashamed of what I had gone through and so it really wasn't until a couple of years ago when I said, you know, what the hell am I being ashamed of? I mean, I should be just so proud of myself. So, but I think a couple of things here, um, people do have a sense whether you're real or not. And I think if, whether you're in business and whether you're a for-profit business or a non-profit business, you, you gotta be who you are. You gotta be authentic. You gotta focus on your customers, your clients, your consumers. Um, you have to be real. And, and one of the things that the nonprofit world struggles with mostly more than probably anybody else's 
they have not been good historically at telling their story, telling about the impact they're having. They're used to talking about the programs they have and how many programs, but they don't talk about those they serve. And one of the things I recommend to every one of my clients is the more you can have someone that you have served that has benefited from your services, that has benefited from your organization, the more they can tell their story about you, the better off they are. So there's nothing more authentic than going to a, a gallery or someone's website and have someone, and I've seen so many of this, and it's come back with just aces, having people tell their story. It captures people's hearts. It captures people's minds. And, and they, they, they get it. You know, they kind of get that connection. Um, no differently than, you know, I mean, you know, a bank may give a loan, but, you know, banks give a loan to someone who's buying a house and creating a family. It has an impact upon the community. And the more the bank can have that person tell the story than the bank telling the story, just like in a non-purple world, someone who's gone through, whether it's addiction or homelessness or housing or whatever it is, you know, having them tell their story is very authentic. And I, I would advise that tremendously. Oh, that's great. So listen, Dennis, thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, Corey, it's my pleasure to have you, and hopefully we have a chance to talk soon. That's great. And thank you, Fooling Deals listeners, for tuning in. Remember, there's only one difference between companies that grow inorganically and those that don't, and it's unrelated to size, amount of capital, or any other factor, other than that the owners and executives of companies that do deals make a decision to do deals, and then they take action. It's time to refuel. So until next week, Corey Kupfer signing out. Thank you again for tuning in. Be sure to leave Fueling Deals a rating and review on iTunes and Google. Check out all our episodes at fuelingdeals.com to find out more resources to accelerate your business growth.